So this past summer, I had the opportunity to visit and stay at the Taze community, which is located a little bit north of Lyon, France. And it's an international ecumenical Christian community of brothers, about maybe 80 to 100. Some live on site, some live in little communities around the world. And their ministry is to um, promote dialogue, um, promote peace, promote understanding across difference. And they worship together three times a day uh, with a, a form of sung worship that is meant to be international and accessible. It's in many different languages based on who's visiting. And it's a it's a particularly special place. It's it's a pilgrimage site for many young people. It has been since the 1970s. So on any given week, there's thousands and thousands of largely mm, maybe 15 to 20 mid 20s um, people. And the brothers mainly live there all year round, unless they have more time off to travel, participating in the daily worship and helping to run the the programs. Um, I, I got to speak with Brother Emil, who is a Canadian brother who joined the community uh, several decades ago and has been involved for quite some time. He's one of just a handful of brothers from North America. So I, I really had the, uh, enjoyed the opportunity to sit down and talk with him. And I hope you enjoy uh, getting to hear what he has to say as well. So this is uh, my interview with, with Brother Emil. Hope you enjoy it. Okay. So I want to, yeah, just thank you again for uh, agreeing to, to meet with me and, and to, it was, it was wonderful to meet you the other day at lunch. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, I guess, to begin with, um, what led you to uh, become a brother at Taze? What uh, sort of, could you tell me a little bit about that journey for, your, for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I heard of Taze in my home country, which is Canada, mm -hmm. a very remote part of Canada. It's in the mm -hmm. north of Ontario. I think Americans think Canada is remote already, but this is even in the north, 700 or 420 miles north of uh, Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a small Taze gathering mm -hmm. in 1974, so a long time ago. And I went, uh, just out of curiosity, I didn't know a thing about Taze, but mm -hmm. I was touched by the prayer, I was touched by the people that seemed very authentic and uh, so I wanted to know more and I went to a few other small Tizza gatherings in North America and mm. that same year I came here in France for a week mm. as thousands of other people do and, and, uh, and then I finished a year of study in Canada and <laughs> came back for a full year mm -hmm. and during that year I, mm. I thought of the life that the brothers live and I started to feel that it might be for me and so I I, I was open to that possibility and spent the rest of the year praying about it, thinking mm. about it, and, and entered the community in uh, yeah, August of 1976. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, um, what was was the community life like back then compared to now? What do you feel like it was um, was different to, to be a brother in the 1970s versus maybe, you know? 
Well, one difference was that we didn't have the Tizé songs. Tizé is known for the music now. Yeah. So we had music, but it was it was psalms, hymns mm -hmm. uh, that we tried to make accessible to others by providing people with translations. But it's not the same as the short Tizé songs that everyone can learn and sure. participate in. So that's one big difference. We had three prayer times a day, already mm. morning, midday, and evening. But evening prayer started at seven thirty, and eight fifteen, everyone was out of the church. It was over. <laughs> okay. And so, so now it's really the evening. No people stay. It really goes, yeah, a few yeah. hours. So, and we didn't have these large gatherings outside to say that we have mm. in Europe and sometimes on other continents. And, and maybe the year was the time of the year when people came was maybe not as extended as now. Mm -hmm. Now people come starting February already and mm -hmm. right up to early November there are, some, there are many weeks with lots of people and so it mm -hmm. wasn't the case really in those years. It was summer and Easter mm -hmm. but not much more. It's, it's, a, it's expanded. The, yeah, so yeah, the reach. people started coming from... I mean, we've always had people from all over the world but, but there are more people I think now from away. Yeah, and there's also intentional effort on behalf of the community to um, uh, uh, fund the transportation of people who otherwise wouldn't be able to pay for it. Yeah, we started having volunteers in the early 70s, mm -hmm. but then in the mid-80s we had, after a gathering we had in India, mm -hmm. we thought it would be nice if some of these people could not afford yeah. to come here could be helped uh, by a solidarity fund right. to help with travel and so so we started having groups from India. I think over a thousand young Indians have spent two months here. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then the idea spread to other parts of Asia and then Africa and South America. And so now with COVID, we don't have, we're still not quite out of the COVID period. So yeah. we don't have as many volunteers as we did three, four, five years ago. Sure. But still, in the summer, there can be easily 70, 80, 90, 100 people spending three months. Yeah. Say. Yeah. And, and, and for so many people, it's such a special time and, and so impactful. Um, the regularity of the prayer, I think, is one of the sure. things that people appreciate. You know, it's a little bit unusual to stop three times a day, to have yeah. singing, but also listening to the Word, and also silence. Silence is something that is a luxury today, no? Yes. Very unusual, and so mm -hmm. people are afraid of silence at the beginning, and then it's often the part that they look forward to the most. Mm -hmm. Look at every prayer has ten minutes of silence, more or less. And the first experience of that is not always... Not always immediately positive. People are wondering what should I be doing during the time of silence, and, mm -hmm. and then gradually they realize it's a, I can be me. I don't have to pretend to be something else. I can be who I am. God's mm. presence. For you, <coughs> when you when you experience that time of silence, and, and, and so you've been practicing this for many many years, has does your state of mind um, settle into anything consistent that, that you're returning to? Or, or is it some days that your mind's very busy, uh, or other days it's very peaceful? Hard to know really what you know, because there's a subjective feeling sometimes that you're not mm -hmm. there, not fully focused. You know? mm -hmm. It can be very, very subjective. You realize it's a very subjective thing. Mm -hmm. you know, and then maybe something very important is happening during that time, but you don't realize it. No, you don't realize it. Sure. So you're just there physically with your body expresses your desire to be there for God. Maybe your mind is wandering because you're not scattered and so mm -hmm. you have to kind of accept that you don't control everything. Yeah. You don't just decide to be silent and, mm -hmm. and prayerful. No, it's, it's given or it's not given. And, yeah. and, and But something important can be happening even if you don't feel that mm -hmm. you are really focused. And so 
So I think you learn that over the years that that's, you know something can be important beyond the feeling that you're having at that moment. And, uh, right. and so you, you're patient. You try to be patient with yourself. You try, mm -hmm. you try to accept maybe humble forms of prayer. Just being open. Maybe listening to the readings, for example, you know, that can that can also echo a little bit during the silence, or you're listening to <laughs> the words of a song that you just sung. Mm. Um, the silence makes prayer new, I think, that otherwise it would be, if we had no silence, it would just be words, 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 words. You know, but sure. The silence, a little bit like, you know, when you have a, a diamond that is set, no? <laughs> and the mm. ring, you know, there's this... The silence you know, is, is, is a little bit like that. It's the diamond, no? but there's a setting that, yeah. that that brings it into value, puts it into value, makes you see the beauty mm -hmm. of it. You know? So the whole service is centered around the silence. You know, the word, the reading of the word, yeah. uh, that, that, that word is continues to echo you know, into, into the silence. Or the song that you sung just before the silence continues to be there too. And so. But no one, knows, no one knows what it's going to be made of, not the silence. That's why it's... That's why it's new <laughs> every time you can know. That's true. Yeah. It's an open space, yeah. open canvas. Yeah. yeah. But the experience yeah. of being, of feeling very poor in silence is maybe, maybe a good experience also. It doesn't feel like a good experience always, no? But it can be a good experience because you realize I don't control everything. I don't, no? I'm, I'm open. Mm -hmm. I try to be open, but I don't, I'm not a master of that. I'm not, I would like a beggar sometimes at prayer. Huh? Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's humbling. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. In a positive way. You know, that sure. Positive way. Yeah. And 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 to to place oneself in a in an, a posture of receptivity to whatever yeah. comes up. Yeah, and of yeah, and of powerlessness and of, of yeah. yeah. Too often we think we control everything, or we control so little. It's an illusion. But we sure. think we think reality is what we control. Yeah. Produce. <laughs> If if the COVID pandemic has taught yeah, us anything, yeah, it's the yeah. there's so much out of our control. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, the, there, what something you said earlier reminded me of a a phrase that I heard by some spiritual teacher. Mm -hmm. I don't recall who exactly, mm -hmm. but it was that um, your spiritual life is none of your business. <laughs> yeah, right, right. yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Of... Something to that effect. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can't so, always be conscious. You know, sculpting a, your own sculpture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, when you were first being, um, when you were first entering the community, or, or even in the years beyond that, um, who were some of your mentors and, and people that, Helped you along the way. Well, <laughs> when you're thinking about becoming a brother, you're put in touch generally with one of the brothers who's got a, a long experience in the community and mm. can listen, accompany, not give you answers, but accompany spiritually. So mm. try to help you discern, also understand what you're experiencing, trying to see more clearly in your own mm -hmm. thoughts. And so, yeah, someone to, who listens to you is very useful. So I had that. And that was very important. One of the brothers who has passed away since, but it was mm -hmm. very. He was also a very good. Uh, yeah, he didn't present himself as a scholar, but he had a, mm. a huge amount of knowledge in many areas of Christian theology and mm -hmm. scripture. And uh, but he never showed. It, never showed it. Uh, never tried to show off. <laughs> yeah, it was very very humble. And that, that had a great influence, I think, on me. And uh, and he uh, he would dare. We have a certain simplicity, maybe, in that. Mm. and so 
there's more than one way of going about these things, but even for writing, you know, he didn't publish a whole lot, but he mm. he used to write from from his own experience and from what he had read, but he wasn't too worried about having read everything mm-hmm. on the topic, you know, yeah. publishing something, or yeah. writing something, or saying something. And mm. that, that, that had an influence on me, I think. I would like to remember more, <laughs> yeah. to keep in mind more what he said, but it's an influence on me. And Brother Roger himself, Brother Roger was alive when I, I lived 30 years here with Brother Roger, and he, mm. he uh, Brother Roger also had a way of embodying, I think, something of uh, Christian hope and joy, and, mm. and uh, also with a great humility, Brother Roger never presented himself as a spiritual master or guy. Sure. <laughs> he wanted to be a brother and walk alongside people, and, yeah. and so that certainly had a great impact on me. And, uh, mm-hmm. And then people who were visitors sometimes from Tese could also uh, be very important to know someone. Sure. Tese was a place of friendship and is a place of friendship. And in those days it was uh, also brought people that sometimes the most unlikely people not showed up at Tese, like uh, mm. the director of the newspaper Le Monde, which is maybe France's most intellectual newspaper. Really? And the uh, founder, Hubert Beuf-Méry, was a French intellectual, and he liked Brother Roger because he, Brother Roger, I think, was a little bit like Bevme. He went Bevme. He started this newspaper, which is, I guess, a little bit like the New York Times, but oh, sure. maybe even a little bit higher level. <laughs> um, uh, he wanted wanted his journalists to live a very simple life. So, all the hmm. the meetings in the morning with the with the team of journalists redaction, no. Was, uh, they were standing, it was very austere, they were a little bit like monks. Oh, the, yeah, that sounds monastic. <laughs> and, 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 and any journalist who started to have a nice car, and he was a little bit uncomfortable with him, okay. they things to be very, very simple, and that they'd be servants in a way of truth, and servants of... Uh-huh. Not, 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 uh, and so they, they had a, this interesting relationship, this Parisian intellectual with Brother Roger, who, who, who never wanted to be an academic, and... Uh, hmm. uh, there were friendships like that uh, with Paul Ricoeur, one of the great. <laughs> maybe you study Paul Ricoeur at Yale. He was a very well known in the U.S. Also, he's French, but he was also a professor at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know, when you study scripture, when you study hermeneutics, when you study mm-hmm. philosophy, Paul Ricoeur is one of the big names. <laughs> he was here also. He used to come here and pray. So, did you get to know him? Yes, 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 yes. yes. We, they, I'm fortunate to get to know these people and uh, wow. and. Uh, yeah, you see, you start to see sometimes that these great authors, they're also people who were seekers their whole life. Mm. Things came also through difficult life experiences. Paul Ricoeur had such a difficult life. You know, as an mm. orphan from the First World War, uh, mm. uh, lost his mother shortly after his birth, his father in the First World War, his sister shortly after the, mm. the war. Uh, and as a man of hope, in spite of all of that, as a man of great hope and a Christian, profoundly Christian. Yeah. And it sounds like his his uh, influence had a, a big impact on you. Yes, I was fortunate to know, especially in the last years of his life. He used to come, he started coming in the 50s, I think, but uh-huh. to know him in the 90s. And, uh, uh-huh. and uh, I'd seen him here before, but never really talked to him very much. Uh, and, but then we talked and I... And uh, he's actually in one of the videos I made on Tizay when he talks about his experience here. And uh, mm. 
And once we were together in Paris, it was those big European that we have, and we had mm. 100,000 people in an exhibition center in Paris. And uh, journalists recognized him, he had come to pray, and so they asked for an interview. And he never used to mix his prayer life with his public life, so he said no. He said mm. no. And then a few years later, we had another meeting in Paris. He was much older, it was 2002, three years before he died. Mm. And again, journalists recognized him. And this time he said yes. Mm-hmm. He said yes, and so I remember we were together on the microphone for a radio program, and and this man who wrote some of the most complicated books you can <laughs> imagine, he spoke with great simplicity about yeah. what he was living, and he said, uh, they asked him what what message do you perceive here? Mm-hmm. What is the message that you're that you're hearing in this gathering? And he said something that stayed with me. He said, uh, the message that I perceive here is. Do not build your life on fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, today we talk so much about trust, the importance mm-hmm. of trust, the importance of living mm-hmm. a simple trust. It's not something naive, mm-hmm. no, but recur as a philosopher, a very critical philosopher, could understand. He used to talk about a second naivete, it's a famous phrase that he used already in the, mm-hmm. he used already in the 40s. Uh, but very similar to Brother Roger in a way, no? mm. a very different starting point. But mm. he had reached the same idea that uh, after we need critical minds, we need people with critical minds, but we also need to discover a new ability to trust and to mm. to wonder, <laughs> yeah. uh, to be amazed, to to, uh, and so. I remember also an expression that he had in common with Brother Roger, which is a little bit difficult to say in English, but. In French, it's the word consentir, consentir. So it means to consent, to say mm-hmm. yes to, not mm-hmm. to accept. Um, and Brother Roger used this word, and Ricoeur used this word, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they didn't consult each other. There's not one that influenced the other. They mm-hmm. both used the word before knowing each other. Okay. But, but in the similar fashion, Ricoeur, in his first great book uh, that he published, I think, in the forties. Uh, he spoke about how our freedom is limited. We are conditioned Mm. by family we are born in, the country we are born in, the culture we are born in. But we do have a freedom nonetheless. Mm. It's a partial freedom. It's not a perfect freedom. But it's a partial freedom. And and we say yes to reality as it is not in a spirit of resignation and sadness, but we say yes, in this situation I can be creative. Mm. In this situation I can create. Mm. And Brother Roger wrote almost exactly the same thing. Mm. And at one point in his life, when he was 20 years old, he was not so happy thinking about certain things that had wounded him, yeah. hurt him as a teenager. Uh, his relationship with his father was not easy. Uh, and suddenly there was this word, consentir, to accept, to say yes, to consent, to mm. say yes, a willing to reality, and to believe that with the situation, with the wounds, with the limitations, with the gifts as well, Mm. I can be creative. I will be able to create something with my life. Mm. And that, that, uh, that made these two men who were so different uh, really be on the same wavelength. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah the, the, it sounds like you're making, you're talking about how uh, limitations, mm. um, and it, it can be 
so difficult and, and we can resist them. Mm-hmm. Um, resist, exactly. That's the word by the writer used. This was our resistances. Yeah. Things resisting us in it. And at the same time, you cannot just get rid of your resistances. Yeah. You have to believe that they also will contribute something. Huh? <laughs> they also will contribute something. No, that's true. What the, the battle going on inside has a meaning also. It, it brings about maturity, it brings mm. a deeper understanding. And so you say yes also to that. <laughs> you say yes also to the inner struggle. Mm-hmm. So being very aware of what's what's happening yeah. inside. And, and God is in reality. God is in the mess also. He's in the confusion. Um, he's in the mess. He's not in this perfect ideal situation, the perfect ideal me. Yeah. But he's in my life as it is. It's Bethlehem. Yeah. It's where he was born. It's, oh, sure. it's the crib. It's maybe not always clean. <laughs> it's yeah. not always perfect, but that's where God chooses to be. Now, and so. mm. yeah. Yeah, and, and in some ways... Um, what it, what it, how is is to say it's described as a, a parable of communion. Yeah, that's what the, the expression of Brother Roger liked, and funny also again, you know, Ricker worked a lot on the parables. Uh, ah, okay. He wrote a famous article in the seventies on the parables in the gospel, mm-hmm. and uh, and Brother Roger liked this expression of parable, lived parable, mm-hmm. and so parables speak of the kingdom of God. That's often how Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God. He's like a man who had two sons. No sure. Younger son went off and come back. Prodigal <laughs> son, yeah. and so it's dynamic. You know, there's a story, and the story is sometimes inspired by something that is there in everyday life. Father has two sons that exists. <laughs> One goes off that exists also, but then it becomes rather strange. Huh? The yeah. story, the story, becomes something. Oh, what is this welcome father who mm-hmm. you know, not only accepts that his son returns, but has this enormous party every month sure. celebrate they got the best robe put a ring on his finger kill the fatted calf no? yeah. it's, and, it's unexpected and then it's yeah. something unexpected something unexpected and so and so Ricardo wrote about that you know, about the parables but the Roger I think didn't theorize no? it was not theoretical about these questions but he knew the power of a parable no? the power of a parable welcoming for example people here Week yeah. after week, a whole rink diversity, not asking people to present their membership card to this church or that church, just walking with their doubts, with their questions, with their anger, with their rebellion sometimes against institutions, with uh, sure. welcoming, making them feel welcome, and uh, mm. and see what comes from that. See what comes from from just growing in a relationship. What happens when trust grows between yeah. two people, and and, uh, and so that's also a parable in the way of the kingdom. Yeah. Not setting too many expectations on what's going to come out of it, but but setting the conditions yeah. Yeah. for right. maybe a, 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 a fruitful growth. Allowing something to happen, yeah, yeah. Just by, by, by welcoming. By. And it's a risk. You know, the word risk meant a lot to Brother Roger. Sure. Uh, we take risks. You know, we take risks. So it can be financial risk if you yeah. decide to open your doors, but you don't have much money to house people or to give them food, like, like it's the case here mm-hmm. week after week. But it's also a risk for your reputation. You know, if it, what happens if they don't behave? <laughs> what happens if you if welcome people <laughs> that other people are enemies of? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so, and so it happened in history to say also people say, "What are they doing? They're welcoming all these people that are yeah. not always Christian. They're, yeah. Why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. How is it compatible with their monastic vocation?" There were lots of questions. Also, Brother Roger, Brother Roger felt the risk was worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. And it's um. Certainly, played out in very interesting ways over the years. But I know we are very um, close to being uh, out of time. But I have a, a question for you. Um, 
maybe for you personally, but in, in the journey of faith, I feel we often find ourselves wrestling with questions. Um, and this is a place of questions. So questions that we cannot necessarily access the answers to. So um, I'm curious for you, um, have there been significant questions that have been important to your faith journey and to your life? Um, and where have they taken you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, when I went to that first Tuesday weekend in my hometown in January 1974, mm. uh, I think one of my questions had to do with, am I a believer? No, am I a, am I a believer? And I thought not for a long time. No. Mm. So I no longer had faith. Mm. And, uh, and I, my question was, my friends, I, some of them were Christian and they made a choice really to be Christian. And I could see their joy, their love, their hope. It was clear to me that exist, that exist. But I was wondering, is there a foundation to that? Or is it just mm. a kind of a forced optimism? Sure. Huh? Uh, is, there, is Christian hope real? Huh? Does, is it solid? Does it have a foundation? Is it something you can build on? Is it, and, uh, and I think that's what uh, led me to discover the resurrection, really. <laughs> and uh, the things that Christ is risen from the dead. Well, that, mm. That's what appeared to me. I was just 17, so I didn't have the words to say that. Didn't have the mm. concepts to say it. But I think that's what entered my life was if Christ is risen, mm -hmm. then joy has a foundation. Mm. Hope has a foundation. The communion, friendship has a future. It's not just mm. something temporary. And so now I, I get to go to Jerusalem quite a lot because Tese was invited to help with them, one of the ecumenical institutes there. And, and when I go to the tomb, to go to the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem where the mm. empty tomb of Jesus is, and you can enter the tomb mm. and you can pray, putting your head on where the body of Jesus was. And, and when I'm there, I always feel, yes, I know why I'm a brother. <laughs> and that's where I know why that's, it's about the resurrection it's, that's, that's what we must proclaim and Paul says that in the first letter to the Corinthians if Christ is not risen our faith is empty mm. no? it's empty and, and that's the great message that we that we are called to carry you know, that, that Christ is risen and, uh, and we get there yes we get there through our questions through our Mary at the tomb Mary Magdalene at the tomb, she's weeping. No, she thinks Jesus has been swallowed up by death. He's never going to come back. And, mm -hmm. and she must discern his presence through her tears. No? It's, a, it's, it's through her questions as well. No? Through, through her questions, through her tears, through her doubts, yeah. he discerns that he's alive. And we, we, in a way, do the same, I think. It's an act of trust to believe in the resurrection. Yes, yes, yes. Because no one, no one is much too big for our minds and hearts to understand, to comprehend. But we have access to it in different ways, partial access to it in different ways. Mm. Well, that's um, certainly a very um, powerful thought and a lot to think about. And I would, I want to respect your time. I know that uh, yeah. it's coming up at six o'clock. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, Thank you. what I'm saying is in Dostoevsky, in the Brothers Karamazov, in the great Russian author. Right, so if you want a short read, go yeah. ahead and read. Yeah, yeah, in the Brothers Karamazov, that's, that's precisely what we find now, this the resurrection that we must announce. Yeah. I, um, I managed to make it through about two hours of the audiobook for yeah. that, and it was maybe... A no, you, you have to start over several times sometimes before you get through the whole book, and then you realize when you get to that part on the canine Galilee, that chapter called the Cana. 
oh, that's the, maybe the one of the greatest things I've ever written in the history really? of literature, I think. Is, mm. yeah, that's uh, where, the, where the young monk Alyosha realizes that yeah, there's resurrection. It's, it's worth reading, yeah. But you, you have to work your way to get there. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not worth the end. The ending is, of course, very much connected because there are the children at the end around the tomb of a child that has died. Uh, and, uh, and the children somehow like this youngest, the youngest of the Karamazovs, Alyosha. Mm -hmm. And Dostoevsky had a son called Alyosha who died when he was four years old. And Dostoevsky was devastated. And, and a friend said, go to this monastery, Optina, near Moscow. Mm -hmm. And so he went, and uh, he didn't find someone who gave him an explanation mm -hmm. about suffering or evil in the world. He didn't, that would not have helped him. Yeah. But he found this old monk full of light, mm -hmm. that he called the Starets, Starets, I mean, in old Slavonic, it means the old monk, an old, old older person, old Staros, old, and... and, and uh, and suddenly Dostoevsky felt there was hope. There was hope for him, for the world, for his son, for him. And, that's, uh, and then so he, he created this novel with a young man called Alyosha, who becomes a monk, mm. and whose mission afterwards is to go to the world to carry this message of resurrection. And, uh, mm. and so the children ask him or at the end, uh, Karamazov, is it true that we should all rise mm -hmm. and see each other again? Mm. And he answers, yes, it's true. And we'll tell each other everything that happened. Hmm. It's a great answer because it means this life is also real. It's not an illusion. No, yeah. it's not, not unimportant. Everything we live here is important. We will tell each other everything that happened. Hmm. We'll tell each other. And so so he, that's how he sees the role of the Christian in the future, is to be who carries to the world this message of, of, of resurrection. Beautiful. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. So that's our uh, program for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any feedback, um, please send us a, a message, ltqpodcast at gmail.com or on Spotify. There's a little box where you can uh, have answer feedback if you have any um requests for themes or people that i might reach out to to interview as well super welcome for that and if you'd like um yeah please please subscribe and so that you know that you'll get future future podcasts now it's been quite some time since i've been uploading uh, podcasts regularly but i'm hoping to get into it again in the new year um starting that new rhythm and maybe once every couple of weeks um so i hope you uh enjoy it and enjoy the rest of your day and take care